Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. When we get to that place of discouragement, where we start doubting God like that or questioning God, that's when we have to go back to what the Word of God says to us about God. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us. We're promised that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. These are the promises that He makes to us in His Word. Do you feel like you are battling discouragement? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dan, He teaches you that when you have seasons of doubt and discouragement, to look to the Word of God. Take time to open your Bible and discover the truths that are found in Scripture. Pastor Dan teaches you to remind yourself of the promises found in God's Word. God promises that He will never leave or forsake you, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, and that nothing can separate you from the love He has for you. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Isaiah 41, we're also going to look at Ezra, chapter 1, and Revelation, chapter 1. Well, if you remember, the book of Isaiah was written before the children of Israel were carried away to Babylon and into the Babylonian captivity. But this section of Isaiah that we're into, it was written in advance for the people who would be in the captivity in Babylon. So Isaiah is writing before the captivity, but he's writing for those who will be in the captivity in chapter 41. And as chapter 41 begins, it's as if we're looking into a courtroom and God calls the nations to make their case for the gods they worship. And so he's calling upon the nations now to present their case for the gods that they worship. It says in verse 1, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, meaning the nations, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak, and let us come near together for judgment. Now the New Living Translation of verse 1 says, Come now and speak, the court is ready for your case. So God says to the nations, present your case. Present your case for the gods that you worship. Present your case for the gods you trust in. Let's hear the evidence that proves that they are gods. And the Lord Yahweh will also present his case in this chapter. 
He says in verse 2, Who raised up one from the east, who in righteousness called him to his feet, who gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings, who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. And here he says back in verse 2, who raised up one from the east? Here it's, it's, it's actually talking about King Cyrus, the king of Persia. God raised up or will raise up Cyrus, the king of Persia, for his purposes. And Cyrus, as the king of Persia, he will lead a a battle against the Babylonians and the Persians will conquer the Babylonians. And it's Cyrus who will allow the children of Israel to return from Babylon back to Jerusalem to build their temple. I want you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1, and here in verse 1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Judah. Jerusalem. So here, Cyrus is going to make this declaration, this proclamation, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, will allow the children of Israel to return back to their land and build their temple. So God is going to use this pagan king, this king of Persia, to accomplish his his purposes. Uh, Back in chapter 41 of Isaiah, in verse 2, again, Cyrus is the one that God raised up from the east, from Persia, who in righteousness called him to his feet. It's not saying that Cyrus is righteous. Cyrus is a pagan, but God used Cyrus to accomplish his righteous plan, God's righteous plan. Now, Isaiah writes this, and I want you to hear this, because this is what is one of the things that's remarkable about the Bible. When Isaiah writes this, he writes this almost 150 years before Cyrus becomes the king of Persia. He writes this 150 years before Cyrus came to power. If you turn over to chapter 44, just a few pages in your Bible, chapter 44, verse 28. Here in verse 28, he calls Cyrus by name. And again, this is, this is over 100 years before Cyrus becomes king. Cyrus isn't even alive yet. Persia is not an empire yet. But in Isaiah 44, verse 28, 
who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Again, this is just remarkable. God calls Cyrus by name more than a hundred years before he's born, before Persia is an empire, and he gives this very specific prophecy about Cyrus. He, he calls him by name. He says, Cyrus will be my shepherd. He will give the command to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And, and again, this is, you know, a hundred years plus before this takes place, where God calls Cyrus by name. And at some point in Persia, you know, a hundred plus years later, there's going to be a young couple, and they're going to have a son, and they're going to name that son Cyrus. And they, they don't know anything about the prophecy in Isaiah. And that young son will grow up to be king of Persia. And, and he's going to fulfill this prophecy in the Bible, in the Old Testament. At the beginning of the chapter, the Lord calls upon all the other gods to come and prove that they're God. And here we see one way that the Lord, Yahweh, proves that he's the one true God. And it's by prophecy, by foretelling future events before they actually happen. And the Lord tells us this in detail, even naming the name of the king that will come in the future. This is one of the things that is unique to the Bible. There are no other books that have this element of prophecy, this prophetic element to it, where, where God declares the future, future events before they happen. The Bible tells us that God knows the end from the beginning, that He knows the future. And, and that's one way that we know that the Bible is, is God-inspired, because it has prophecy in it. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. One in four verses are prophetic talking about future events that will take place. Now, just to give you some perspective, the New Testament makes up 22% of the Bible. And 27% of the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, 27% is, is prophecy, it's prophetic in nature, where God tells and speaks of things and events before they happen. There's no other book like the Bible. There's no other book like the Bible. Now look at verse 4 again. Look at the end of verse 4. The Lord speaking says, I, the Lord, and it's in all capital letters, meaning it's Yahweh, Jehovah, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. And so here the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, declares that He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Now over in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus declares that He is the first and the last. If you want to turn over to Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 11. Jesus speaking says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He declares it again down in verse 17. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. He declares it again over in chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. 
He declares it again at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 13. Jesus declares that he's the first and the last. In the Old Testament, Jehovah is the first and the last. And what this is showing is that Jesus is God. It's showing the deity of Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ are one and the same. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We'll have more from this message in a moment. But first, we'd like to tell you about an exciting resource available this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you more. Christmas can be a very busy time of year for most of us, and in our busyness, we can forget the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. So my wife, Cameron, wrote a wonderful daily devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple devotional is written for women and is designed to help you keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas season. We would be happy to mail you a copy as our thank you for your investment of any amount in this daily radio ministry. To receive your copy of 31 Days of December, visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. Now, let's finish today's message. Now, back in Isaiah 41... Verse 5, the coastlands, again, the nations saw it, speaking of Cyrus and the Persian army, saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. The nations will see Cyrus and the Persian army, you know, marching across the Middle East and conquering all these nations and the, the nations will be in fear, and these nations will form alliances to try to stop the Persian army. Verse 7 says, So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. The nations will turn to their idols for help. When they see the Persian army marching towards them, they'll turn to their idols for help instead of turning to the Lord God. And they will manufacture more idols for the people to worship because they think their idols will save them from the Persian army. Look at the end of verse 7 again. It says at the end of verse 7, they have to fasten their idols with pegs so that their idols don't fall over. (laughs) You know, If you've got to nail your God to the wall to keep your God from falling over, uh, that God's not going to save you from the Persian army, right? You know, you think about our God. Our God conquered the grave. Our God defeated death. There's nothing that can hold our God back. Our God is mighty to save. He defeated death. Death could not hold him. And here, the gods they're trusting in can't even stand up on their own, and they've got to fasten them to the wall to keep them from tipping over. Verse 8. Now look at verse 8. And remember, remember, he's writing this to the children of Israel who have been removed from their own land. They've been taken as slaves into Babylon. And here the Lord says to them, But you, Israel... You are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, 
my friend. He he writes this to Israelites who, who are slaves in Babylon. And the Lord says to them, you're still my servants. You're still my chosen ones. You're still, you're still the descendants of Abraham. And in Genesis 15, remember, God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And God is saying here, I still have a covenant with you. My promises to you are still true. You're still my people. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't left you. Verse 9, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servants. I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. He reminds them as they're in captivity as slaves, he reminds them, I haven't cast you away. I haven't cast you away. Even though they're slaves in Babylon, that doesn't mean God has cast them away. Even though things are very discouraging for them right now, they're still God's people. They're still His chosen. They're, you know, they're in Babylon because of their sin and because of their unrepentance. The Lord is chastening them, but He hasn't forsaken them. He hasn't cast them away. He hasn't nullified His covenant with them. They're still His. They're still His chosen people. Now, why does He say this to them? Because in Babylon, they felt forsaken. In Babylon, they felt like God had forgotten them. And that God had abandoned them. But what God does here is He assures them that He has not forsaken them, that He hasn't thrown them away, and that He hasn't forgotten them. And listen, you know, as well as I do, that sometimes we face circumstances in life that are very difficult and very discouraging. And in those circumstances, sometimes we wonder, has God seen me? Or has God forsaken me? Or is God against me? Is God angry with me? Does God hear me? Now, they were in Babylon for 70 years. And sometimes we can, we can get to that place where, you know, does God hear my prayer? Does God even care? Is God ignoring me? And when we get to that place of discouragement, where we start doubting God like that or questioning God, that's when we have to go back to what the Word of God says to us about God. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us. We're promised that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. These are the promises that He makes to us in His Word. And just because you go through a difficult season or a trial and you feel discouraged, that doesn't mean that God's cast you away. That doesn't mean you're no longer His. Uh, In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 11, about God's relationship with the children of Israel, the Jewish people. And he says there in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the calling of God is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. God doesn't forsake His people. He he doesn't change His mind about us after He's called us, once we've blown it. God will never withdraw His calling from Israel. It's irrevocable. We've we've seen in our Sunday morning study, 
in the book of Revelation how the nation of Israel and the Jewish people play a very central role in the end times during the tribulation period. God's not finished with the Jewish people. His calling upon them as a nation is irrevocable. And God's calling on your life and my life, it's irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't cast us away. We're secure in Christ. No matter what our circumstances may be, we're still a child of God. He purchased you and he purchased me with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's paid the highest possible price for you. He's not going to just cast you away or toss you aside or give up on you. So here the Lord is saying to the children of Israel who will be in this captivity in Babylon, he's saying to them, you're still my people. You're still my chosen. I still have this covenant with you. I haven't cast you away just because your circumstances are hard. Doesn't mean I've forsaken you. Then he says in verse 10, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, he says this to people who are in slavery in Babylon. What a comfort it must have been to them to read these words of Isaiah and be reminded that God is with them and that God is still their God and that God will help them. There's hope. There's hope. There's more to come. Babylon isn't going to be the end for the children of Israel. Now, Jeremiah the prophet also wrote to the children of Israel when they were in their captivity. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord says to his people who are in captivity, I know the plans I have for you and they're plans for good. They're, not, they're, they're to bring you to a good end, not, not to bring disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And he says that to people who are in captivity, who are slaves. And God reminds them and says to them, hey, it, it may not look like I have got a plan, but I know the plan I have. I know what I'm doing. I haven't forgotten you. And my plan for you is good. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's a good plan. It's a plan not to bring you to disaster. It's a plan to give you a future and a hope. There's a future. There's a hope beyond Babylon. Just like for you and me, you know, God's, God's working out His plan in our lives and sometimes that plan includes a trial and it includes difficulty and sometimes we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and sometimes it, it can feel hopeless and we can feel despair. But God would say to you, I know the plan I have for you. I, you know, He's not making it up as He goes along. He's got a future, He's got a hope, He's got a destination that he's taking us to, and he's going to get us there. And the plan for Israel was to deliver them out of Babylon through Cyrus the king and to bring them back into their own land. So he's got this, he's got this bright future for them. And now verse 11, verse 11, God begins to speak of this future that he has for his people. Look at verse 11. Behold, all those who were incensed against you, notice future tense, shall be ashamed and disgraced. This is part of the plan he's got. They shall be, future tense, as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. It's all future tense. This is, 
He's going to take care of all of the enemies in the future. He asked me how I know, and I say, Bring truer than the finest crystal. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton today for Ring of Truth. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from Pastor Dan, they're available to you at our website, calvaryec.com. We'd also like to take a moment to invite you to partner with us here at Ring of Truth. Would you consider investing in this ministry financially? Your investment of any amount will be used to bring these daily Bible studies to you and other listeners. Throughout this month, as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us, we will send you a wonderful devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple daily devotional, written for women, is designed to keep your focus on Jesus during one of the busiest months of the year. The devotional begins on the first day of December and walks you through the story of the birth of Jesus in daily bite-sized pieces. It's the perfect tool to keep Jesus in the forefront of your Christmas season. To get your copy of 31 Days of December, call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. Or visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. That's calvaryec.com. We will gladly mail a copy to you. Thank you for partnering with us, and thank you for listening to Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and will I know because I know his voice, and it only takes Rings true.